Morning, church. We have a great crowd here today, and uh, I want to welcome everyone to our church. When it quits raining, this is what it'll look like. <laughs> Thought I'd give you a look of what the flowers will look like. Uh, wow, it, it was a wet March. It was a wet April. It's still wet, but the Lord uh, held off some storms today, so watch the weather today. The storms are coming again. And, but we're so, so glad to see everyone here today. This is Mother's Day, so I wanted to say happy, happy Mother's Day. We've got some brochures out in the chairs. Kind of a touching thought to Mother's Day. If you want to pass those around, I want you to be sure and uh, read that. It's always good to have special holidays. Mothers seem to get all the attention, and that's okay. So it's always so exciting on Mother's Day to see so many Kids show up, families show up, mom gets to go out to eat all weekend. Surely you're not making your mom cook. Surely you're not making your mom cook. Surely you came home because your mom cooks. (laughs) Woman puts herself in harm's way for her children. A mom does. What kind of person puts themselves in harm's way to save someone? A woman, but it could be a man, it could be any of us. Could you put yourself in harm's way to save someone? Would you put yourself in harm's way to save someone? Andrew Carnegie wrote in 1904, We live in a heroic age. And in 1904, he established the Carnegie Hero Fund. I know you can't read it on the back of this coin, it says... Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John, um, I think it's 1 John, maybe it's John 15, 13. I want to say there's 1 John 5. He established the Carnegie Hero Fund, and since that time, over 9,700 medals have been given out, awarded. Heroes are awarded quarterly, and March 31st of this year, 20 more Heroes, 20 more recipients were awarded. Honorees receive a financial grant. In fact, since its inception, the fund has given out over $36 million in grants, scholarships, death benefits, and other assistance. The awards are in the United States and in Canada. Who who is a hero? How do you define a hero? Well, the Carnegie... Fund defines it this way. In order to qualify for a Carnegie Medal, the person nominated must have risked their lives to an extraordinary degree while saving or attempting to save the life of another person. Recipients have been all ages. Recipients have been both genders. Recipients, as a matter of fact, none of them ever risked their lives for recognition. Most of them... When people try to give them recognition, say, yeah, I, I, I don't want that. I mean, we see that all the time. You'll hear a story on TV and someone will say, you know, there was an angel. Someone came along. They don't know who it was. They don't know the name of the person and they, and they want to find them. And they put something in the paper and they'll put something on TV. We're just looking for the angel that saved our life. Could you risk your life to do that? In fact, they've done research of many of the people that have received the Carnegie Fund, the Carnegie Medal, and they've discovered certain things. Here's what they found out. 
the decision to save someone else's life, this is from the people they interviewed that did that, that saved somebody's life. The decision to save someone else's life in an emergency is typically an intuitive split-second process rather than the result of careful deliberation. The lifesavers repeatedly said they didn't even think, they just acted. In fact, one man said, who climbed into a burning car to rescue a woman after a car accident, he said, I just did what I felt like I needed to do. You don't think. A college student who rescued a 69-year-old woman trapped in a flooding car said, I'm thankful I was able to act and not think about it. So they've learned, the research shows, that going with your gut can lead to moral behavior. This is what they said. We found that going with your gut can lead to moral behavior and that second-guessing yourself leads to selfish behavior and self-preservation. Isn't that interesting? Risking your safety to help others most often involves fast unthinking action. So if you want to be a hero, don't think. You just act. We've been studying, uh, doing a series called My Favorite Bible Characters. And so it's really pretty simple. I find a Bible character that's one of my favorites and I just preach a lesson on it. And so we've looked at Onesiphorus and we've looked at David and we've looked at Judah. And today I want to look at another one. I want to look at a hero. I want to look at a hero, and I think it's kind of fitting that on Mother's Day that the Bible character I picked intentionally happens to be a a woman who is a hero. And she didn't risk her life just to save a life. She risked her life to save an entire nation. She risked her life to save an entire race of people. She put her life on the line. And so my favorite Bible character is Esther. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah. Her Greek name, as the Bible calls her, is Esther, which means star. And she's a star. Esther is the 17th book in the Old Testament. So as you're reading through the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you get to Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. She's the star of the story. Let me tell you a little bit about Esther. I I love names in the Bible. I I love whether it's Hebrew or Greek. I I love the way God changes names. I love the way God uses the name of somebody. She is a star to illustrate, to play out in her life, to show that her name fits who she is. Sometimes names do that. I'm sure I've told you before, I've got two brothers and two sisters, and so I'm the youngest of five, and I tell my brothers and sisters the reason I was given the name Richie, is because it means mom likes me best. (laughs) And my two sisters always say, mom always liked you best. Well, that's why she named me Richie. Because, I, you know, I milk it for all it's worth. I, I love the way God takes someone by the name of Esther, who's a star, and illustrates in her story, in her book, how she was a star. So let me tell you a little bit about Esther. It's a story about God's people in exile, which simply means they're carried away from their home. They're off in exile. And so when some of them started to return back home, there's there's some of God's people that stayed in Persia. They didn't want to go back home. They're still in exile. So when you read Esther, we're in Persia. We're still in exile. Esther is the story of Satan's attempt to wipe out God's people. It's a story of Satan's attempt... I mean, to totally wipe out every Jewish person there was. People have tried to do that. 
throughout history. And so Satan wants to destroy God's people because if you destroy God's people, you destroy God's plan. If you destroy God's plan, you destroy God's lineage. If you destroy God's lineage, Jesus won't ever come. If Jesus never comes, then Satan's looking pretty good. So he thinks. And so in Esther, we try, we see where Satan tries to destroy God's people. It's an exciting story. You need to go home and read Esther. It's just ten chapters. You would enjoy it. It's, it's filled with suspense and betrayal and conspiracy and treachery. It's, it's a made-for-TV movie. You would enjoy reading Esther. There's five main characters in the book of Esther. So let me tell you <clears throat> briefly what's going on in Esther. The first is King Xerxes. He's the king of Persia. And when we open up the book of Esther, he's throwing a banquet. And not just any banquet. This is an all-you-can-eat buffet. This is an all-you-can-drink buffet for seven days. And he invites everybody. Scripture says from the least to the greatest. And so he's got all the men together for seven days and all they're doing is eating and drinking and being merry and having a good time. And at the end of day seven, he says in his drunken stupor being the king, I'd kind of like to parade my queen in front of all these men. Inner character number two, Queen Vashti. You know when you're watching the TV and it says, don't change that dial because you might miss something? Don't change that dial because you're going to miss Queen Vashti. By the end of chapter one, she's gone. I mean, she's bye-bye gone. She's out of the picture. Because the, the king says, hey, Queen Vashti, he sends word, I want you to come over and parade yourself in front of all these drunken, groping men. Well, while the men are off partying, partying Queen Vashti's over. She's having a party of her own. She says, yeah, I'm not coming. For whatever reason, she says, yeah, I'm not coming. I mean, maybe she was enjoying her party. Maybe they were drunk themselves. Maybe she was drunk. Maybe she didn't want to be paraded in, the front of, in front of a bunch of drunken, groping men. Or maybe because of history, history says that the king would have his queen parade in the nude. And she said, I'm not going to parade in the nude, dude. So she doesn't come. The king's wise men say, hey, we got to do something. This looks bad. I mean, this looks bad for all the men in the kingdom. This looks bad for husbands and wives. We need to do something and don't change that dial because we get to the end of Esther 1 and Queen Vashti is gone. So then we have a problem. The queen's gone. We, we, need, a, we need a queen. Well, what, how do you get a queen? Well, you have a Miss Persia pageant. So we... I, I'm not kidding. You need to go home and read... Esther, we have a pageant and we invite all the beautiful virgins from all 127 provinces and and, and we give them facials and we give them treatments and we're going to parade them in front of the king. And so that's where we get Esther. Esther, Scripture says, was lovely in form and features. That's what Scripture says. So much so, to make a long story short, when Esther's brought before the king, Scripture says, he was attracted to her more than any of the others... She won his favor and approval, so he set a royal crown on her head and he made her queen. So, character number three, Esther becomes a star. Esther becomes a queen. And little does the king know, Esther is a... She's a Jew. She's one of God's people. 
And that's going to come into play in her character number four, Mordecai. Mordecai is the cousin of Esther. The Bible says Esther has no father, no mother. We don't know why, but Mordecai has been raising Esther and she listens to him. And whatever he encourages her to do, whatever his instruction is, she listens to him. Mordecai is outside the, the court one day, outside the king's palace, and he hears a plot to assassinate the king. He sends word to Esther, the queen, and says, Hey, somebody's going to, these two guys want to kill the king. So she sends word to the king, and, and the king finds out, and he um, does some research, and those two guys are killed. Enter character number five Haman. I know we're going kind of fast. You go home and read Esther. Haman was the right hand man of the king. Haman loved Haman. Haman was all about Haman. There's little. I think nothing good said about Haman in the book of Esther. And he's the right-hand man of the king. And he convinces the king to make a decree that wherever he goes, Haman, wherever Haman goes, people will bow down and worship Haman. And the king says, all right, I'll issue a decree. Mordecai says, Mordecai the Jew, Mordecai, one of God's people, says, I'm not bound down to you. And that hacks Haman off. I, I mean... So much so that he goes to the king and says, you need to issue another decree. Here's what it says. There's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's law. You know, bow down and worship me. It's not in the king's best interest, really Haman's best interest, to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. So dispatchers were sent to all 127 provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. And the king issued the decree. There's just a little problem with this particular decree. The king's wife, the queen, Esther, is a Jew. So Haman's fixing to get in a lot of trouble. Well, once again, Mordecai finds out about this plot... And he sends word to Esther. And he says, don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you've come to royal position for such a time as this. One of my favorite lines in all of the Bible, for such a time as this. Mordecai says, Esther, God puts you where you are. For such a time as this, God gave you your beauty so that you could become queen for such a time as this. God put you in this place for this very reason, for such a time as this. And she responds and says, you know what? I'll go to the king even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Because it was against the law. It was against the royal law. You didn't just go waltzing in to see the king. Hey, king, can I talk to you? You didn't go see the king unless you had an invitation to go see the king. You go knocking on the king's door. You go standing outside the king's court. If he looks at you and you've not been invited, you probably die. Literally, you probably lose your head. She said, I'll do that. You know what? I'm not going to even think twice. Like the people that get the, the, the research done on the people that, that save people's lives. I won't even think twice. I'll go do this. And that's what she does. You can read the rest of the book of Esther. She goes in. The king holds out the golden scepter. He receives her. 
There's a couple of banquets involved. She tells the king what's going on. He said, you know what? I've already issued a decree for all the Jews to die. I can't take that back. But I'll issue another decree that the Jews can defend themselves. And that's what he did. And the dispatchers went out. And the Jews defended themselves. And the Jews lived. And because the Jews lived, the lineage continued on. And because the lineage continued on, the Messiah was born. And because the Messiah was born, because Jesus was born... He lived and He died and He was on the cross and now He's in heaven. And the reason Jesus went through and lived and did what He did is because Esther, for such a time as this, risked her life for God's story because she wanted to be a part of His story. Now, that's the book of Esther. You don't even have to go home and read it. So let me tell you some things about Esther. Out Out of all of God's... Out of all of God's people that he could have said, listen, I need you. He picked Esther. Out of all of God's people to save the entire race, God picked a woman. I, I love that God picked a woman to carry on the lineage to save the entire race, to save the entire nation. If it wasn't for Esther, the lineage would have stopped. If it wasn't for Esther, the Jewish race would have ended. If it wasn't for a woman, in more ways than one, Jesus wouldn't have been born. If it wasn't for women, much of the work of the church wouldn't get done. If it wasn't for women, much of the work at carrying and sharing wouldn't get done. If it wasn't for women, most of our kids, the Bible class teachers for most of our kids are women. If it wasn't for women, most of the work of the church wouldn't get done. So I love that about Esther. Now, I, I, I want you to understand that this, this isn't a political push for women. This isn't a political, let's, let's just change everything about the church. But we have undervalued the role of women in the church. We have pushed them aside for too long. We have limited their capacity and their giftedness. Esther saved the entire race. And she was a woman. And we sometimes tuck women off to the side. Now, all the great women in history, both inside and outside of Christianity, in my opinion, all the great women in history did what they did because they believed in the cause. Esther believed in the cause. Esther believed in God's story. It wasn't about title. It wasn't about position. It wasn't about getting a Carnegie medal. It wasn't about notoriety. It wasn't about getting her name in print. She wanted to be a part of God's history. You know, it really has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. I'm fascinated that God, in, in His story, God says, in, in that day and age, where, where women were certainly not thought of very highly, in that day and age, God says, you know what, it's time for me to use a woman. And He does. And He doesn't have to ask permission, and He doesn't have to worry what people think. So I'm fascinated that God would use a woman, but I'm, I'm fascinated for some other reasons. I, I'm, I'm fascinated that Esther knowing that she could die, goes to the outside to the, the outside of the court, and then she's granted access to the king. She's granted access to the throne room. She's granted access to see the king. Much in the same way that because of Jesus, we're granted access. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access. We have access to the king of kings, not the king of Persia. We've been granted access to the king of kings. 
And I like that Esther introduced that, and then Jesus shows us what that means. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. She approached the throne of the king of Persia wondering, am I going to live through the next five minutes? And we can approach the king of kings with confidence. Listen, folks, we don't have to stand on the outside. We don't have to stand in the wings. We don't even have to make an appointment. We can at any time go before the throne of God. We can at any time have a conversation with God. We can at any time ask God for anything we want at any time. And we don't have to worry about any consequences. And we don't have to worry about an invitation. And we don't have to wonder if God's too busy. And we don't have to wonder if God's going to chop our head off. We've been granted access. Let me tell you why I like Esther so much. Just like Esther, maybe we've been granted access for other people. Let me say it this way. I I know when we pray, we've got personal requests. I know when we pray, we've got some agendas. We've got some things in our life. Lord, can can you help my kids? Can you be with? And, and, And that's okay, and God wants us to pray for those things. But maybe one of the main reasons we've been given access to God is for other people. I mean, one of the highest responsibilities we have is to pray for somebody else. What an honor when somebody says, will you pray for me? What an honor when somebody says, hey, my family member's going to be sick. Will you take my family member's name before the throne of God's grace? Wow, what an honor. And we've been given access to do that. But Esther tells me even so much more than that. Esther tells me that such a time as this. I think God has you in long view. Pick your surrounding towns at the Pine Tree Church of Christ for such a time as this. I think God has you in your marriage for such a time as this. I think God has you at your work for such a time as this. I think God has you in your family, with your kids, with your... You just list all those. With your coworkers, with your neighbors for such a time as this. And we have the opportunity for such a time as this to impact the lives of people. I mean, Esther risked everything for the sake of the entire Jewish nation. And she didn't even think twice. If I perish, I perish. She, for such a time as this, we we have the opportunity to pray for people and to take their name before the throne of God and to tell them about Jesus and to change their lives and to change their eternity. God gives each and every one of us opportunities. I wrote this down so I'd save it right. Say it right. God's not looking for heroes to give medals. God's looking for people who want to be a part of His story. Let me say it this way. God wants to use who you are, who He's made you to be, the talents He's given you, the places He's put you for such a time as this to be used in His story. And His story is to change the direction of people's lives through faith in Jesus Christ. God's not looking for people to pin a medal on. He's looking for people who want to be a part of His story. When you read through the book, when you read through the Bible, this is His story. And how He enters people's lives, and He uses people's lives, and He uses all kinds of people's lives, and He uses the lives of women, and He uses the lives of all kinds of people, but because he's, He wants to change the world through Jesus Christ. So when you get to thinking, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I in this job? Why do I have to go through this? How come I have to work with this person? How come this person has to be my neighbor? I want you just to remember the phrase, for such a time as this. Maybe God put you there for 
such a time as this to tell somebody, hey, listen, um, I know we've not been getting along as neighbors, and I really would just rather you move, but can I tell you about Jesus? (laughs) You might want to change that conversation a little bit, the wording of that. Instead of being so upset with the king of Persia or Haman or all the people around you, instead of being upset with your neighbor and your coworker and your spouse, instead of being upset with your kids, just remember, God gifted you. And just like Esther maybe gave you beauty, and just like Esther gave you giftedness, and just like God has put us in places for the specific reason that maybe we're the best person to tell somebody about Jesus for such a time as this. So the next time your life's a little difficult for such a time as this, the next time something's going on you don't understand, God, I don't understand, but for such a time as this, would you show me what it is that I need to do? Whatever's going on in your life. So let let me close this way. I believe God put me here today to tell you this. Not that any other preacher standing up here wouldn't, but I'm going to tell you today. God put me here today that if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. If nobody's ever told you that before, if for some reason you've never heard that before, I want you to hear today that the best decision you'll ever make in your life is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to do that. It doesn't have to be today. It can be this afternoon. It can be sometime this week. It needs to be before you die. Because God's able to take our lives and do things with our lives and and, and do things to change His story. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to do that? If you've never confessed His name, if you've never told people, I believe Jesus Christ is a... Son of God, if you've never been baptized in the cleansing blood of Jesus, if you've never received the Holy Spirit, if you've never done any of those things, can I encourage you to do that today? Now, I don't want to just encourage you. Can I plead with you to do that today? Can I beg you to do that today? Can I encourage you sometime before you die, for such a time as this, God put me here to say, you need Jesus. Will you ask Jesus into your life? Will you repent of your sins? Will you confess His name? Will you be baptized? Will you allow God, because He's able to change your life? Just remember, as you live this week, for such a time as this, if you need to respond to the invitation, God's able to do so many things in your life. Would you allow Him to do that as we stand and sing?